Um, in my younger years, and for my wife and I, we were mentored by this godly, spirit-filled couple named Victor and Viola, who served uh, in East Africa for over three decades. They're an amazing couple. They established hospitals and publishing and churches there. And one of the Christian communities that emerged from that time is known as the Mesereti Christos Church. It literally means Christ Foundation Church in Ethiopia. It began in about 1951. After the 1974 civil war in Ethiopia, Ethiopia became a communist state. And the People's Democratic Republic of Ethiopia was overtly opposed to Christian faith. And so the next number of years became very difficult for Christians in that part of the world. In 1982, when I was 10 years old, the government closed all Misereti Christos congregations and detained their leaders. The church was forbidden to meet and were forced to meet in small groups. Meanwhile, they, together with organizations like the One Victor and Viola, served, continued to carry on agriculture and uh, reforestation and refugee settlement and food distribution because, of course, in the 1980s, famine was, ra was ravaging Ethiopia. Perhaps you remember those images of the famine of Ethiopia, or maybe you just remember Live Aid. Any of you remember Live Aid? Young kids, you're not going to remember, but I suspect your parents might remember something like Live Aid. Or perhaps you've heard on the radio at points that wonderful song, We Are the World, right? Sing it with me. We are the children. That's the song that emerged in 1985. And so while we, here in North America, were singing along with Stevie Wonder and Cindy Lauper and Michael Jackson, and yes, even Bob Dylan, though I'm not quite sure you can sing along with him, the Misereti Christos in Ethiopia were living the realities of life there. Forbidden to meet in their buildings, their leaders taken away, the church went underground in 1982, with about 5,000 members. By the time the Derg government fell, like many other communist governments did in 1991, the Mesereti Christos Church had grown from 5,000 members and those 14 congregations that had been closed to 53 congregations and 34,000 members. Yeah. They went into lockdown with 5,000 and they emerged with almost six times as many. In 1994, just three years later, 50,000 Mesereti Christos believers gathered in a stadium to publicly congregate for the first time in 20 years. The last major report in 2018 had the Mesereti Christos Church in Ethiopia showing a total faith community of 615,429 people. Yeah, perhaps we should ask, how will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? The global director of the World Evangelical Alliance's Peace and Reconciliation Network is Johannes Reimer. He's from Germany. He's traveled extensively and he practices something wherever he goes. He, he calls a taxi driver at the airport and, and asks that driver to take him to the nearest mediation or reconciliation center. And usually this confuses the cabbie. And so Johannes will explain, uh, you know, if, hey, if someone has a family dispute, where do they go for help? Or if a neighborhood issue goes badly, where do people turn for advice? 
Well, where would you take him? If he hopped in your car, fresh out of the Kelowna airport, where would you take him? Now, Johannes has had quite the urban adventures. He's ended up in police stations and psychiatric hospitals and city halls and even a prison. And only once in all his travels has he ended up at a church building in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, a nation of 80% Muslim population. There the driver stopped and announced with a mischievous grin, only here do they ask such stupid questions as you ask. <laughs> How will we act now, friends, so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? My Peace and Rec Reconciliation Network colleague in Eastern Europe, Vladimir Ubivok, told a fascinating story recently. Despite the turmoil co caused by COVID-19, which we're all living, there have also been numerous wars throughout the world in the last year. In September 2020, a conflict erupted in the Nagorno-Karabakh region between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Perhaps you heard about this. Thousands died. Over 40,000 traumatized people have been displaced. And over the last number of months, however, Christians in Europe organized vast amounts of aid. And, and this caught the eye of the local government, who reached out to Vladimir and his team asking for help to train counselors in responding to the PTSD that is epidemic. How will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? And here we are in Canada in a pandemic, it's real, it's very inconvenient. People are struggling, some are angry and frustrated, ignoring or protesting restrictions, chasing theories, fearing loss of rights. There's a lot of binging on Netflix, bloating of Amazon's coffers, or running back to the car because you forgot your mask, again. Christians have been forced to learn new rhythms, some, some are jumping from one church to another and virtually joining, almost weekly. Polarized opinions swirl. You may have stopped talking to another Christian who thinks different than you. Some Christians have just given up. So, by the way, have some pastors. How will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? Or as Evangelical Fellowship of Canada's Vice President David Goretzky says, how should the church behave in a post-Christian era? See, these are the questions that our text today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, is addressing. And it's a most relevant word for today. Peter was writing in a pre-Christian era, a time when to be Christian puts you on the margins of society, not at the center of it at all. Peter is writing to an emerging church. Jewish and Gentile in heritage, who are trying to figure out who they are now and how they are to live. They are not in power. They don't get any tax receipts for their donations. They are a mysterious minority. So are you, by the way. The EFC's 2019 National Survey of Religious Attitudes in Canada discovered that for the first time, more than half of Canadians reported being either agnostic, atheistic, or unreligious. Consider as well these statistics. 
At the end of World War II, 67% of Canadians attended religious services weekly. That was all religions, not just Christian. 67% at the end of World War II. In 2000 and, or sorry, in 1996, that was 30% of the population. In the survey done in 2019, that number declined to 11%. 11% of Canadians attend religious services weekly. The trajectory of lively Christian discipleship was already tanking before the pandemic. The real question we should be considering as followers of Jesus is not when, not when can we get back to normal, but how shall we behave in a rapidly post-Christian context? How, how did the Misereti Christos Church behave? How did the church in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, behave so that they were known for asking stupid questions about reconciliation? How did Christians behave in response to the war in Nagorno-Karabakh so that the government asked Christians to help heal the traumatized? How will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? Let's look at what Peter says to the first century believers in what is today northern Turkey. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Let's just pause there. Now, remember, in the context of 1 Peter, Peter speaks from a clear vision of Christians as a new people on the planet, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That was back in chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Christians are an otherworldly reality, saved by what God has done for all creation in Jesus Christ on the cross, birthed into reality by the resurrection of him from the dead, Jesus' ascension back to the Father, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the holy nation, not Jew or Gentile, but God's own possession. And this new reality, the church, this royal priesthood, are God's covert submarine activity in the world. Through them, God's glory and excellencies are to be seen. So what does it mean to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation when the powers of the day make it difficult? These first century disciples knew that though Caesar, who was to be called Lord... Though Caesar ruled over a swath of land, there was only one Lord that they belonged to. They were sojourners, resident aliens. They had been born, uh, even though they were born in a certain place, they belonged to the Lord of all. But this wasn't escapism, and this is a crucial point. They were to be very active they were to activate their, behavior, their faith through their behavior and good deeds that would cause people among them to sit up, take notice, and glorify God on the day when he makes all things right. That's verse 12 of chapter 2. That's just before we head into this section. They were this small minority, but they were living with a bigger vision than ever before. How big is your vision? How will we act now? So that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen. 
Are we behaving now in such a way that those who do not yet know Jesus will have cause to praise him into eternity? It is from this identity, you see, that Peter now speaks because you know who you are and who you belong to. So submit or be subject to the human authority of the place where you live. Be a holy nation within the nation. Be God's submarine people. Now, why? Well, Peter's quite clear. Look at verse 13 again. Look what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not Caesar's sake, but for Jesus' sake as Lord of Lords. You submit not to please Caesar, but because of Jesus who is above Caesar. Human government, even those we don't like, is instituted by God to order society. And that human authority in Peter's day was the Roman Empire. It was a communist state for the Misereti Christos in Ethiopia in the 1980s and 90s. It's a secular democracy for us right now. You live in a time and place, and governments and empires rise and they fall. And God ordains it for his ultimate purpose and calls a royal priesthood of exiles. That's the word Peter has used twice already in 1 Peter here. He calls a royal priesthood of exiles out of that time and place who bend their knee to Jesus Christ to reveal his good lordship over it all. Be a submarine people. God reveals his kingdom reign in history, not through legislation or force, but through an excellent people declaring God's excellencies. Let's be honest. One reason for the current rejection of Jesus is that Canadian history is marked by the church acting like the state, trying to enforce its agenda unjustly, sometimes even wickedly. But it is not power we are to grasp. The Christian is called to a bigger vision, to reveal God's glory and the hope that life to the full is possible in our time and place. This is what Peter is getting at. Submit for the Lord's sake to the powers that be. Be a submarine people. Because government is God's idea to order chaos and commend what is right. This is what Peter's saying in verse 14. Sometimes good and sometimes evil people and forces are at the steering wheel. And when it begins to commend what is wrong and evil, human power eventually topples on itself and it's painful for people made in the image of God. And so be different, submarine people. Be the holy nation within the nation, serving the king whose beautiful kingdom is not of this world. This is not for your sake. It's not for the emperor's sake, but for the Lord's sake, for his good purposes. Jesus saved you there. He sent you there. He calls you to make disciples there. Now submit there for his sake there. This is for him. Let's continue. Verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Ha! 
Now Peter turns, you see, to how we should behave. The Christ-centered way of life, a witness of another world and its values, should silence ignorant and foolish opposition. Live as free people. What a call and a vision for people who were anything but free. Many in this Asian church in the first century would have been slaves without power or privilege, but they were free royalty in the Lord. In fact, their decision to follow Jesus as Lord would make them less free from a political perspective than they were even before. Because now not only were they slaves, but they were part of an illegal religion, disciples of Christ. But they were to live their true identity as free people. You are in Christ the redeemed and the free. Free from the grip of sin, from old identities and attachments, free from futile thinking and idolatries, free from the condemnations and the accusations of the devil, free from having to perpetuate the generational and national sins that mark the peoples we come from. This is who you are as a Christian. Are you living it? Or are you still bound by the identities and the ideologies and the idolatries of the world? Within the world, bound by a small, short-sighted, what's-good-for-us vision, Christians are free, submarining about in their workplaces, their neighborhoods, their schools, coffee shops, joyfully serving the Lord, a holy nation within the nation, a declaration of God's excellencies. And then do you see in verse 16, the free are slaves of God. What a peculiar turn of phrase. We put ourselves under human authority in a particular time and place, but we ultimately serve only one Lord. We are slaves either to the powers or to the power of God. And as a free submarine people who are willing servants of God for his glorious purposes, we do good in the world. This is what Peter is calling these Christians to. Christian goodness. Yeah, Christian goodness silences ignorance and foolishness. We never, never use our freedom in Christ to cover up evil. The life of the holy nation is the revealing of God's goodness and light. We know who we serve that he has sent us to be present here for his sake. So we'll never use our spiritual freedom as a pretense for evil. You see, Christians are not above the law. Christians live by the law of Christ, and love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, which is also spoken in the context of relationship to government. And this is a stark warning to the church today. Christians should be acting in such a way as to bring glory to God in the eyes of the watching world. The Messeretti Christos focused on underground disciple-making and doing above-ground goodness in their society, and eventually holy fruit overwhelmed and outlasted the powers that be. Christians are being asked to serve the healing of the wounds in Nagorno-Karabakh right now, because good works opened eyes and hearts. As Cyprian said in 256 AD, we don't preach great things, we live them. 
We're hungry for great preaching these days. But are we more hungry for great living that puts the word of God into practice? Are we scouring the internet looking for the next word to justify a rebellious spirit, a spirit of the age, a mindset that is not the mindset of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time we just start living the word that we know. Living like Jesus our Lord who became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God himself submarined and submitted to the human institutions of the Sanhedrin in Rome. And while the rest of the world is asking, what's good for me? Christians are asking Alexander Solzhenitsyn's question, why has life been given you? And then we're actually living it. We're doing good so that people know why they live and that they too can be free. You see, we are the commercial of another world where swords are beat to plowshares and enemies become friends and feet are washed and where the Prince of Peace reigns. You know, a commercial on a screen, you see a lot of them. A commercial on a screen is within a device in a particular system but it's always inviting you beyond the screen into another reality. One of these great ones now is the Go RVing commercials that invite you outside as you, as you sit on the couch picking the chip dust off your belly that you're using as a plate, right? And the behavior of Christians is a commercial within a human authority system inviting people to believe and behave as if another world is a reality. A TV commercial submits to a system. It has to. It submits to a box with certain parameters and rules, but the commercial invites you beyond the box into the wonders of the world. And are Christians today busy talking about the TV screen, the box, debating endlessly about what the box should look like, what brand it should be, instead of behaving as children of light, a commercial of the kingdom of God? Live as free people, live as slaves of God. This is what Peter is saying. God's free people should, as Dorothy Day reminded American society, reveal the essential emptiness of worldly prestige and replace it with the true joy of beloved community. Can the true joy of the beloved community be seen among us right now? Let's look how Peter ends this section. Verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. How will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? Peter gives a bookended guide. Honor everyone. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. A submarine people honors everywhere and everyone. We act like our God by recognizing the value he has placed on everyone we meet. The proper respect we show is the respect God himself gives to human beings who are made in his image, who are his delight and his joy. God loves and is patient with the world. He has been patient with me, with you, with us. 
And he is seeking to have his excellencies revealed in the world through us, even hopefully through the person opposing you. David Gretzky writes again, we seek to respect everyone we encounter so that when Jesus returns, he is able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, everywhere you go, even where you're sitting right now, looking around a room at other people, where you walk into the mall or a store or street corner where you see that guy standing in the median asking for change, we are surrounded by the image of God every day. Show some proper respect. Listen, if Christians won't, then it's debatable we know Jesus the Lord. We love, says Peter, the family of believers. Are you loving the church right now? Not the structures or the live streams or the organizational challenges, but do you love the family of God? How are you showing it? Who have you called or entered into disciple-making with? Who have you gone out of your way for? Who have you embraced that is not like you? Do you love the church? Doing church as an organization right now has different opinions. And sadly, it's these opinions that keep driving Christians apart, which sounds a little bit like a tactic of the devil, doesn't it? Peter says that a few chapters later, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But loving other believers is not an option. It is one of the primary acts of obedience to Jesus our Lord, who said we are to love one another as God has loved us. Then Peter says, fear God. We honor everyone. We will live under the government assigned to us, but to God alone we bend the knee. It is with reverent awe that we approach God, and this shapes us as a holy, submarined, free people. Because courage comes not from whom you can quote, but whether you have humbled yourself before the wonder of the King of Kings. God's power and favor rests on those who humble themselves before him. We're missing corporate worship life these days as the body of Christ. But we reverence God with our whole lives, not just an hour, but with our days, our work, our play, our money, our sexuality, our relationship to government. We've had unrestricted free access to meet for years before COVID, and yet the vibrant life of genuine Christian discipleship has declined steadily for generations. The issue isn't whether we can meet in a building. It's whether we fear and reverence the God of heaven and earth. And then Peter says, bookending it, we honor the king. Honor bookends, verse 17. We honor everyone. We honor the king. Christians don't honor those, Christians honor those God has placed in power. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth to power And we don't give the king the place that God alone deserves, but we honor. I met with a member of parliament once for coffee. They knew I was a pastor and they seemed a little concerned about my agenda. I think a stereotype was at work. But I only wanted to meet to know who they were, to honor them, to know their story and their burden so I could pray for them. And it totally disarmed the conversation And it became human. And it it reminded me of what another member of parliament had told me years ago. These people all put on their pants one leg at a time, just like you. Even the king has to put on his pants one leg at a time. 
And the load of a mayor or a public health officer or a premier or a prime minister right now is heavy. Getting that one leg in one at a time right now, I suspect, is heavy lifting. Honor the king. The submarine church, the holy nation, is centered in love for one another and reverent awe of God. And that empowers and emboldens us to face the world, honoring everyone, honoring the king. Positioned, you see, with a spiritual and relational center, a core identity and hope as God's special possession and ambassadors. We live and we behave as people of the light, as recipients and vessels of mercy as free people, how will we act now so that God is glorified and his excellencies are seen? That, indeed, is our very high call, conversation, and behavior this week. Would you join me in prayer, church? Free people, slaves of God. Lord, by your grace and your mercy, you have wooed us to yourself. We did nothing to deserve it. We've been carrying pain in our hearts. We might be the traumatized. We're carrying guilt or shame or fear. We're walking and trapped in all kinds of things. And by the grace and mercy that comes from heaven, you have found us and wooed us to yourself. In Jesus Christ, you have obliterated the grip of sin and made it possible for us to walk in freedom. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us the fire to do it. You've placed us in a family, a family of believers. Oh God, thank you for this undeserved gift. Teach us what it means to live this right now. Teach us, oh Lord, to walk in your ways. Teach us what it means to honor where it's deserved, to love this family of believers, to fear and reverence you and to live in such a way that your excellencies are seen even now. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.